So I think if you've got the location and the size of the units and then do your other things on the front end of conserving energy, I think it should work. I've been very pleased. Welcome to the North Country Fruit and Vegetable Podcast. My name is Heather Bryant, and I am working on this project together with my UNH Extension colleagues, Olivia Saunders and Nick Rowley. The podcast is a COVID-friendly answer to the North Country Fruit and Vegetable Seminar and Trade Show, started by our retired colleague Steve Taraj approximately two decades ago. We plan to release five episodes of our podcast in the fall, and then in October, we will run a series of interactive lunchtime discussion sessions, one for each episode. During these sessions, we will be able to dive deeper into each topic. You can ask questions of the people we interviewed, other experts, or each other. The topics will center around issues and ideas of interest to farmers and people who choose to live a rural life. Thanks for joining us. Greetings, everyone. Olivia here. In this episode, we highlight a few solar power success stories. And in preparing for this episode, our team had to do a fair amount of networking to find some farms who have embraced solar. Before we jump into hearing these two success stories, I want to add a note of caution. There were a handful of farms we spoke with who declined an interview because their return on investment wasn't working out for them just yet. There are various reasons for this, from issues at the town or local level, not sizing the array quite right, or struggles tying into the grid... This is all to say that you really need to do your homework before jumping in. Adding solar can truly transform a business from an economic perspective. But as you'll hear John Porter mention, if it's not right for your location or your roof, it's just not right. Yeah, I'm John Porter. I spent my career as a dairy specialist for the University of New Hampshire. I retired about 15 years ago. I still work part-time for the university. I do some of my own dairy consulting, and I have a little part-time farm here in Bosquin where I grow some vegetables and so forth. So I was uh, interested in the solar array to kind of supplement some of my needs as I operate my little farm here in Bosquin. In terms of generators or alarm systems, you know, these are things that come to mind as somewhat self-sufficiency during, you know, storm events or... Um, we don't really have blackout, planned blackouts in New England, but maybe someday we will. It, who should have these sort of backup systems? What kind of farms should install these? Okay, well, first of all, I'm not sure if the goal should really be to go off grid. I know a few that have, and it seems like they're on pins and needles all the time about trying to balance their load, trying to jockey around when they do things, doing something at night and not during the day and so forth. So I almost think, The first goal would just be the net metering, where you generate electricity on your farm, you put it out to the grid, you buy it back, and as a net metering, you get credit for what you've made. And I think that is a more realistic goal for most farms. Otherwise, they're just on edge all the time. But uh, especially our dairy farms, where our milking has to be done twice a day, it just has to be done. Uh, Generators are just a must. We see generators almost on every dairy farm. And... If you are trying to get off grid, you know, Chris, the generator would be even more important. And then the thing that I'm kind of watching now, uh, there's a lot of developments going on on storage batteries. And that's something to keep an eye out on. Uh, in fact, there's a possibility that might even replace the need of a backup generator 
if you could store enough in some of these batteries. And I know a lot of the companies are kind of leaning a little bit that way. And I've been watching that technology to see where that's going to develop. Yeah, I was reading up about some kind of generators with a battery that you can bring with you on the road. I think these are sort of designed for road tripping type people, but presumably you could bring that out further afield at the farm. Um, I don't know what the price point is on those. They probably are a lot, but maybe for a remote site or something where you need power, that could be an option. Yeah. Now, this battery technology, especially as they're developing electric cars, all this technology is growing fast. And I think you're going to find that technology brought back, you know, into the generator world and maybe even replacing some generators. So before considering, you know, these alternative power sources, are there programs for home weatherization or even barn sort of insulation for folks that might be farming full year, uh, you know, all 12 months out of the year? Yeah, I mean, insulation to me is just a no-brainer. That is just a constant payback. And on some farms that may be insulating a, uh, you know, an area where they, you know, get plants together or something for potting shed. In a dairy farm, it might be the milking parlor, uh, then the farm home. Uh, so insulating definitely is going to be right up there, the first thing. And, uh, and also be aware of the type of insulation that fits your needs. I know I've been getting more leery of the fiberglass insulation in some of the dairy applications because of moisture. And so we're seeing more of the rigid foam or the spray foam. And I've seen fiberglass after several years and it's really matted down and wet. And uh, so be aware of your use as you choose the insulation type. So there's a lot of talk about electric vehicles and it seems like in places like Vermont, there's changing charging stations all over the place. I think there's one, you know, even on top or at the base of Mount Washington. Um, in terms of electric vehicles, is, is there a place for that in New Hampshire? And if farms were converting over to electric in the next 10 or 20 years, let's say, you know, what would need to take place for that to happen? Everybody knows the farm economy has tight margins. And especially when we talk to beginning farmers and small farmers, we usually encourage them, don't go out and buy new tractors. You know, get something used, get by, because you're just not going to get the return on it. And obviously this electric powered equipment is going to be expensive. So I think we're going to be kind of slow to bring that in, especially for small farmers, uh, big farmers that are budgeting to replace a tractor. Uh, it would be nice to kind of have that in their business plan to work toward that. If they, they had that goal of being more uh, energy efficient and uh, less carbon production. But I think, I think it's going to take a while because of the tight farming margins, you know, it's just going to be expensive. And like I say, the small farmers don't have the margin to do that. Right. And I, you know, I think I asked this in part because in Vermont, I've seen a lot of businesses that people come to the physical business to buy something. They will put a charging station in to attract new customers. And so maybe for those that do direct market, that could that be with that infrastructure, could that be a new way to attract customers to the farm stand? They get a charge while they're there. They get to buy their vegetables or milk or whatever. But in Vermont, they might have more sort of support, you know, from the government for that. Right. I'm not sure. So you mentioned the NRCS as one organization to 
um, speak with in terms of the audits? Are there other um, agencies, nonprofits that a farm could speak with to learn more? The utility company is another resource. I would consider that uh, NRSCS has been quite active in this. I know they've done some audits in my neighborhood. Uh, there have been some agencies like through the governor's office, of, and I'm not sure if that energy division is still active or not, uh, but there might be some things within state government that might, even though they're not labeled as that, may have an energy interest and could steer you in that direction. But the good thing about NRCS, they're farm oriented. And they come in, they already know what we're dealing with. You haven't got to educate them. They know where to go for, they check the high uses of electricity. And uh, and the ones that I've seen, they're pretty well set up for, uh, for doing it and cranking out a very usable report. Mm -hmm. And I think they subcontract with other firms to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're not talking at all today about sort of the engineering and mechanics of the solar, more like how does this, you know, work on farms. Right. And so I think for those sorts of questions, your solar company is going to be much more uh, knowledgeable. Right. I, I started working with uh, Revision Solar Company you know, on mine, and uh, they're a great resource. In fact, right at the very beginning, uh, they had devices for reading my solar angles and so forth. In fact, as soon as he stepped onto my property, he said, this is solar real estate. Because I've got a barn roof that I coincidentally made it a steeper pitch than normal because I had an attic upstairs and I also faced my barn to the south and it's just about perfect for a solar. Farms that do not outright own the property they're on or the barn there they are working with, for those that lease, any suggestions? Is solar an option for them? It could be. First of all, I would say there ought to be some discussion with the owner of the property that they're leasing from and perhaps the owner has, uh, you know, that mentality of wanting to do this type of thing. And maybe it could be installed by the owner and, uh, or maybe the leasee might install it, but have an agreement in the lease that uh, it would depreciate, you know, by the year. And when they left, they would get paid the undepreciated amount that was still there. There are also leasing arrangements for solar. And it might make sense if somebody is leasing the property to also lease the solar. And again, read your contracts to see what your obligations are, but that might give a little more flexibility. Uh, but in leasing arrangements, you want to be careful because the, the, the thing that happens is, you know, you don't stay there as long as you think you will. And you put this money in and now you've lost it. So the, the bottom line in all of those, I always tell people, get all of this in writing. You know, so you know what the consequences are, what happens if you leave early, uh, who gets the benefit of the solar generation and all that sort of thing. But I think that should be a real early conversation with the owner of the property and the one leasing to see how they would participate together and what would be the consequences if they left early. So I do want to talk about your own um, solar project you have on your barn here, as well as the consulting you might have done with other farms to get them up and running with solar. What are some initial considerations when a farm or yourself, you know, wants to add solar to primarily the barn, but maybe if the barn isn't right, there's other options around the farm. Well, first of all is, you know, knowing your needs for electricity. Like I say, I started this as a uh, hot water system and he said, it just wouldn't pay. It wasn't enough use. 
And then as we looked at other uses, and then I've literally have added electrical things to my place to use electricity. I'm trying to use electricity. So I replaced the gas stove, with electric stove. I replaced my oil hot water heater with an electric hot water heater. Uh, you know, we're trying to use electricity and make good use of it. So you want to be sure you've got the usage to get the payback. And I think I'm at probably a 12 to 15 year payback, but that's with getting quite a few uh, grants and things along the way. And that's often has to be figured into the equation. And those vary with how the policies are as how many are available. So, so know your usage um, and know your payback and how you're going to finance it yourself or how you're going to do this or a bank or whatever. And, uh, and then again, the roof condition is important. If you're not using the roof, then finding a good spot outdoors that um, isn't going to hinder your operation. In fact, I've seen some farms where they're actually raising them up very high and then you can graze underneath. When you added this to the actual barn roof, was there any um, anything you needed to do to the physical structure? No, they looked at it. They said it was fine. It was a truss roof. It was well designed for it. Uh, the biggest challenge we had is I didn't want a lot of exterior wires going from the barn to the house. And we were able to find a petition in the house to run it up through. And then we chased the wires through an attic and I don't have it, just a few feet of wires exposed. We got it all internal. And so getting, sometimes just getting from the house to the barn, because probably uh, the controls are going to be in the house. It depends where your electric comes into your place. But mine, it was in my house in the basement. So everything had to be mounted in the basement. Then we had to route this wiring clear out to my barn. So knowing your placement of things and uh, uh, how the wiring's going to go, what you want exposed, the practicality of this wire getting from one place to the other uh, is all important. And so you wanted that wiring inside to just protect it from rodents? Protection, but also just the looks. I've got an older house. I really didn't want a, like an inch diameter cable going all the way down my house. And they were good about that. They, they took the extra time and we chased it through petitions and it's, uh, it's just but a few feet that are exposed. There are a number of sort of these DIY kits and they seem to be more of them coming out all the time where you kind of do the install yourself or there, there may be smaller kits. Is it worth going that route or should you just stick with a commercial company like uh, Revision or yeah. one of the others? I think if a farm is setting up a system of this size, they ought to just go with a commercial company. Uh, there's a lot of little tricks to this. You know, even you know, these guys, as they were setting up, they were running into little roadblocks and having to change and do this and so forth. And, uh, and then I've had a couple of callbacks on things. It's been a very good system, but there have been a couple little things and they've just been super. They come back. There's not even any paperwork. They come back, they fix it. Everything's going. So I think when you're a commercial operation, depending upon this, generating a lot of electricity, it's worth going, like having it commercially installed, getting the backup with the guarantees, the professional installation, and knowing it's going to be right. When again did you install this? I did it this summer of uh, 2015. So I've had it about six years. And you are on track with the, the ROI, the return? I believe I am. Because another thing I added, I had the opportunity to sell power uh, to a green energy co-op. So there's a green energy co-op that I report my energy in to every month. 
And they have members who, even though we all know it just goes in the grid and it's going everywhere, they are paying that concept that they want green energy. So I'm going to quarterly check for my green energy that I'm selling. And then, um, yeah, most of the time I have no electric bill. All I pay is sixteen twenty-two a month for a carrying charge. So I feel, yes, I'm, I'm on, on track. Um, any maintenance with this system? It's almost none. The one thing some people get nervous about is the winter. And with a heavy snowstorm, uh, this will get covered. And you'll generate no electricity for the time it's covered. And I figure it's not worth getting up there and risking scratching it or anything else. The way mine was done, it was mounted on the upper half of the roof. So the lower half melts a little bit and it draws the upper half down with it. Plus with all the black panels underneath, all it takes is all that sun reflecting into there and it breaks open and so forth. I think the longest I was without energy was two weeks. Normally with an average storm, four days, it's all clear. And it's amazing. You can just watch it start falling off. It'll fall off the roof first on the bottom. Then the panels start opening up and there's cracks and crevices. Then you see it opening up, falling off. Three to four days, it's all clear. And I noticed you have a metal roof. Are these, you know, what if you had asphalt? And the There isn't much difference except for you won't get the clearance off the bottom half like I'm getting. I, I personally would prefer metal, but they go either way on those. So you mentioned the dual use um, on farms where the solar arrays in, might be installed in a field and animals graze around them. I've seen some interest in the wild blueberry fields in down east Maine where that's a perennial crop. And so maybe there's a potential for that there. There's a lot of that in Massachusetts with some hot debate around that. Is this kind of dual use right for New Hampshire? I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about that. You know, New Hampshire has got so little prime agricultural land that even though, you know, they'll give the argument that, okay, you can still use it and sheep can go under it and everything, but you'll never be able to cultivate it and till it like you could before. It just looks kind of cluttered up. And uh, I don't think we have the land resources to get big into that. You know, if somebody has got some marginal land and they're interested in solar and they can put some units in and keep them up high and still graze and so forth. That's one thing. But to put them out into a field, I just think our New Hampshire tillage is too precious. I've tried to speak with a few other farms that have a solar array and didn't want to participate because they, um, they, they weren't quite sold on it yet, even though they'd had it installed for maybe five or six years. So it seems like with some operations, and you know, it might vary by the farm and, and um, how expensive it was for the installation, but it seems like some farms aren't getting the return that they had hoped for. Well, one thing is to make sure you put up enough panels too. In fact, they had designed mine originally with not as many, and I really wanted to be at the size where I could be self-sufficient. And some of the companies, especially utility companies and stuff, not all that crazy about that. They want you to be at 80% or something because they still want to get some payments. So sometimes you have to push a little bit to get that full amount that you want for self-sufficiency. So they, that's one thing is try to push for self-sufficiency and make sure you're getting the size array that you really should have for your needs. Um, and then the other thing is just, you know, be sure you're picking the right location. Like they literally had metering devices here and checked and did readings and everything. 
Uh, so I think if you've got the location and the size of the units and then do your other things on the front end of conserving energy, you, know, you kind of kind of work the two together, I think it should work. I've been very pleased. I mean, I, I right now, I've got probably close to 2,000 kilowatts in the bank, which means I'm 2,000 watts kilowatts ahead. And I'll chew those up next winter because in the winter, I'll generate around 500 or less kilowatts a month. And in the summer, I do 1,000. And my use is about 500. So in the winter, I'm chewing up, you know, some of these credits. Uh, in fact, in the winter, sometimes I go even go higher than it, may go 800 or so. Because I also put in heat exchangers in my house. So I have two heat exchangers that also will consume electricity for air conditioning and heating. I use it just for supplemental. So, so you can bank, this. when you're doing the net metering, you can bank some of these kilowatts. So I kind of plan it to bank some, use those up in the winter, and then come back into spring and start over. And you've, like you said in the beginning, you've converted some of, you know, your stove, some of your heating yeah. to electric. Yeah, anything that we can make electric, we did. And, uh, we're, and we're still keeping up with it okay. The one winter I got behind a little bit, I think I set my heat exchangers too high. I was expecting too much out of them. And they work more than they should have. Because if it's really, really cold, they're not as efficient. And I think I was trying to get more out of them than they could do. And that was the one year I got electric bill was using those. So I've backed those off a little bit and make them supplemental. So what I'm taking from your uh, experience is you, this isn't something you set and forget. And you, you're kind of checking in on it every quarter, maybe annual, reevaluating your usage, what you have in the home, like this isn't something that you bought and then just walked away from. It's even almost daily because I actually have a computer print uh, set up where it goes to my computer and I can check daily. And I check it quite often. It's just curious. You'll know, have a cloudy day. Well, I wonder how much I did today. A really good day, I can do uh, 50 kilowatts and average days, maybe 20 or whatever. And so like I say, in a month with the high 50s and then the 20s, you know, I'm 1,000 to 1,200 kilowatts, and, and, and that's you know, almost double what I, I need in the normal time. And then in the winter, when my use is higher, I'm using those up, those credits. So I guess being devil's advocate, it, would there be a situation where you'd say, you know, this is not going to be a good option for your farm? Well, if you don't have the electrical demand, like, you know, maybe you're a little tiny vegetable farm and... You really don't have many electrical needs. You know, it might be questionable. And if if you've got a barn you really want to use it for and it's not oriented right, it's not worth, it's got to be right. You know, it's, it's not worth compromising. And that's something I think some people maybe made some mistakes. They just plain want it. They've got a barn there, so I want this here. And if it isn't the right orientation, it's not worth it. You're going to be disappointed. Oh, yeah, I'm curious how much extra cost would go in if you are installing it in a field instead of just right on a rooftop. Well, you've got all that apparatus, and I don't know. I, I never priced that out, but you do have that extra apparatus of the framework. The other advantage if you're doing it off the roof is that you can put in these uh, arrays that will move, and so you actually capture a higher percent of the sun. So that could offset some of that because you would get more sun. that would just rotate with the sun all day. Tom Giovanoli, 
I am a poultry farmer, contract farmer for Pete and Jerry's Organics. My barn is organic, certified, humane, 20,000 hens in my barn. So what motivated you to bring solar here? <laughs> my electric bill. <laughs> my electric bill was like averaged around $700 a month. And in the summertime, when it was hot and the fans stayed on all day and most of the night, some of my, my monthly bills were over $1,000 a month. So the major energy suck for you is that climate control in the barn? Yeah, the big fans come on. They get the back of the barn there, half a dozen five-foot tunnel fans. So when they come on and stay on all day and all night, it'll take most of the night to get the barn back down to temperature, mm -hmm. even if it is a little cool out. So they they do run 24-7. you have any, you know, backup systems, generators, or batteries if the grid goes down? Well, two generators, one tied to the barn to keep the, the birds alive in case I lose power. And then I have a second generator which will run off my tractor to feed the birds and run the scrapers to keep the operation going which I have had to use a couple times. So does that mean you have an alarm system as well? Yes, yes, there is an alarm. Phone or something? Yeah, it calls my phone, yeah. yep. Any heat that you need to add in the colder months? No, just chickens. Chicken heat? <laughs> when you built the barn, did you have aspirations at that point to add solar? No, no, like that was, like it's a sticker shock when I got my first summer bill. And you were considering adding it to the structure. Was there anything that you needed to change with the barn, or it was already sited? Actually, the direction of the roof is 194 degrees south, which was almost perfect for what you want. It was like a 6 degree, 612 pitch on the roof. So that worked out good, so we didn't have to put a structure up to set the, barn, the uh, panels on because the barn was already situated. Didn't build it purposely that, but it just kind of, Worked out that way, yeah. Does the t solar also tie into your you know, home energy use? I can't do that because I applied and received the two different grants, one being a REAP grant, Rural Energy of America program, which is a USDA grant. So the grant it was specifically for use for agricultural purposes, so I can only use it in my barn, not my house. And a second grant was through the state, and I don't remember the, actually the girl from Revision Energy actually applied. That one became available kind of in the middle of the application process, and she applied for me, and we got that one also. So like I said, they were, Revision was the only outfit out of everybody that I used that was even remotely uh, aware of the... Uh, Repro reprograms in the state pro programs. It actually, like it says, help me apply. I read up that this will have a six and a half year return. Are you on track with that, you think, or ahead? Or? Well, I've also invested some of my own money in, in the system. So, like it says, by 2022, this by this June, the panels will be paid off. So the, the system was a $106,000 system. Uh, I think it was 43-kilowatt system. Between the REAP grant and the state grant, 
it was better than $40,000. It left me with just a 60 somewhat thousand dollar balance. All said and done, I only had to borrow like 30. So like it says, another year and my panels are paid off. And you anticipate having those on there 25, maybe even 40 years? Yeah, I think years. you're guaranteed 25. So at least that. And presumably you're still grid tied and you're sort of banking your summer energy for winter. So I assume that's, you know, important factor for your farm. The only issue we did have was this barn has got all new technology and all my lights are dimmable LED lights, which is dimmable LEDs is new. And the trouble I had is after the panels were up and running, my inverters kept kicking out and it took Pete and Jerry's quite a while to figure out why because I had so many of these uh, dimmable LED lights, they threw the harmonics off. I had harmonic imbalance, and the voltage would spike, and if it did, the inverters would shut off. So they did, it took them a while, but they did finally correct it, and then they did uh, cover me for my losses during that time, so I can't complain. Like, it took a couple of years to get the panels to work the way they're supposed to, because you know, they put lights in other places with LEDs, but, you know, my most houses might have 10 or 20 LED lights where my barn has 250. So that was a learning curve for everybody. <laughs> but we did get it figured out and straightened out, and things are, they are working good. You know, we've had quite a good heat wave in 2021. We anticipate the number of days that go over 90 degrees to increase over time in the future. Do you think your array in the system you installed is big enough to handle these sort of high heat days and the energy that you might be consuming? It was designed on, the when they designed it, they look at my uh, power consumption from the previous year and built it based on that. And like it says, it was kind of hard to tell when the panels weren't working right because I was paying for electricity and paying a mortgage on them, which was kind of tough. But now that they're working right, because this spring my barn was depopulated, so I had a month there were no birds in it. So the fans weren't running. So I, you know, a little bit more in the power bank than I would normally have this time of year. But with the hot weather we've had, I've had a credit the last two months with the power company, so they're doing what they're supposed to do. The classic question that most farmers would want to know, would you do anything differently? No, 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 everything went good. Like it says, there's nothing we could have really done about the, uh, uh, no matter who put the panels in, as far as the dimmable LEDs, because it is new technology, so I think anybody else would have ran across the same problem. Um, like I said, they were slow getting it, getting it done, but they did. You know, of course, COVID hit too, maybe didn't help nothing either. It's, it's paying the bill, and when I get my, the mortgage done, my, my bill should be, should be about zero every, every month. Did you explore any other energy sources like geothermal or anaerobic digestion? No, solar was kind of what I was looking at the whole time. I know my brother put a geothermal system in his house, new house that he built, 
and that seemed kind of invasive and more maintenance. Mm-hmm. And this seemed even as far as wind power, they say the windmills are a lot, a lot of maintenance too. Mm-hmm. So this seemed the simplest, and it it seems it's been it's so far so good. So you mentioned a few organizations that helped you along the way, but would you suggest any nonprofits or state or federal agencies that can help with um, getting outfitted? I think as far as funding, I would imagine that like Farm Credit East or Yankee Farm Credit or some investors would, would maybe, but I didn't, I didn't have to deal with any of them. And you... You said you worked with USDA. Right, and the state, I forget the name of the state grant. But. And did you have any audits done before the before you worked with revision? Energy audits, I'm, I'm, I mean. No, no, just with the solar company. So I know you run this farm along with your sons and just kind of thinking long term and, and down into the future, um, any other sort of sustainability initiative projects that you might be taking on? The one thing I might do with Pete and Jerry's is they came up to me and asked if I'd want to make this a pasture-raised barn, which means each bird needs about 100 feet of outdoor access. So 20,000 birds is 100,000, well, not 100,000, but 50 acres, whatever million feet that is, uh, which would mean fencing in a bunch of that, uh, 50 acres of ground. And then they also asked me about, I forget what, some sustainable farming practices that the new owners want to do really doesn't have much to do with the chickens, but more as if I had livestock mm-hmm. and I could use the same pastures to, you know, rotate, graze the animals on. And like I said, in a sustainable manner, which is more money for me. Do you have any plans on expanding, like, number of birds you have? My two youngest were both interested in it, and then both of them just started having babies, and they've been kind of <laughs> sidetracked with that. So right now, not not right now, but we'll see what happens. The contract I have on the barn is for the length of the mortgage of the barn. And now with the price of the materials in the barn, I, I wouldn't be able to have a contract to cover the length of the mortgage. So that's another issue. So I'd probably want to get closer to the finish line with my first barn before I stepped into a second one. So there's been some interest in places like Massachusetts and other New England states about, you know, what they call dual-use agriculture, solar arrays, where, I mean, your system is on, on top of the barn, but these dual-use ones might include, you know, grazing underneath the array or other perennial crops under there. Do you think this kind of solar has a place in New England or New Hampshire? Uh, I'm not familiar with that at all. Um, There would be grazing under the solar array. Right, well, that wouldn't help help anybody in my place because my panels are on my roof. I, I suppose here I could use it 
if I, if I had the arrays on the ground as shade structures for the chickens, as far as, the, I mean, really, that's all pretty much what it would be to me. It would be a shade structure. I don't know if you grew plants that needed partial sun. Maybe it would help. I don't know. <laughs> what I've seen more is like, yeah, grazing sheep, but certainly I, they would provide some shade to the poultry. But, yeah, it's been a sort of contested issue in Massachusetts. Against having all the shaded area? Just installing these, you know, arrays in an agricultural soil. Oh, using the farmland for, for as solar fields. I don't see why you wouldn't be able to do both. You know, just do a field just for the sole purpose of making more renewables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my neighbor looked into that a little bit. Yeah, I don't see where it would really hurt anything outside of the area that the base would take take up. But I would think if some of the shaded areas, if it's really hot and dry, the shade would probably help, I guess, for pastures to grow better. And like you said, it's a place for the animals. I don't, I don't see the negative effects of it. It seems like for your farm, the solar has really helped with your profit, overall profitability. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, pretty sure in New Hampshire that energy prices aren't going down anytime soon. <laughs> Most of New England. So, yeah, no, that's kind of a no-brainer. With this last year with COVID and, and all the global changes we've seen and, and then with these heat waves, has your perspective on alternative energy changed or do you feel even more committed to what you've done? Um, I think as Americans we use way too much energy in general. I mean as as a general statement compared to the rest of the world we're way too energy hungry. Um, If I can do this and not change anybody's uh, energy footprint then great. So you, you feel like this is the way to go? Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't do it any other way. But next summer, I'll be electric bill free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for hopefully, I'm sure, till the birds are out of the barn. Thanks again for joining the conversation about agriculture in the North Country. And be sure to check out our webpage, extension.unh.edu forward slash north, where you can find this podcast information about the North Country Fruit and Vegetable Conference, and instructions for participating in episode discussions. The North Country Fruit and Vegetable Podcast is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. Views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial products in this podcast does not imply endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, U.S. Department of Agriculture, and New Hampshire counties cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.edu.